Okay. Um, you know, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we're studying the church in Thessalonica. Uh, you can find it in your Bible on page 986, and the Bible's there in the seats. Uh, and we've already noticed that the church in Thessalonica was a great church, right? Uh, had many markers of a great church that we saw in the first uh, chapter of 1 Thessalonians. And uh, this morning, I just want to ask a really simple question. Um, you know, if that's such a great church, the question is, what kind of people make that kind of church? What made that church so great? And um, what kind of people make a God-first church? And, uh, you know, all churches are made up of people, right? The church is not the building. The church is not the pastor. The church is not the programs. The church is not the money. The church is the people, right? And so no church can be any better than the people who make it up. It's just like a marriage. You know, a marriage is about two people. No marriage can be any better than the two people who make it up. You want to have a better marriage, you just become a better person. It's really, it's really that simple. One of a better church, we become better people. Uh, and better just means more like Christ. And so what kind of people make up, you know, that kind of a church? Our vision here at Trinity is that we would be a growing church of what we call God-first people. People who put God first in every area of their life. People who honor God by putting him first. Seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. And then all the other stuff in life will find its place around you. And so we're looking to be a, a growing church of God-first people. And uh, we think that, you know what, uh, how does that happen? How does a person become more God-first? Well, we think three things have to happen, and they pretty much happen in this order. First of all, people have to experience the love of God. They experience the grace, the forgiveness the spirit of God, the gifts of God, eternal life is a gift from God. You experience the love of God when you begin to believe him, right? And that's the first kind of step that happens. And once you begin to experience the fact that the God of the universe loves you, um, then you begin to embrace the truth of God. And uh, we don't have a silent God, we have a speaking God. And he's made himself known. He's written us a book called the Bible and so forth. And so I picture this sometimes like we're a tree, you know, and we've got roots. And uh, the roots go down into this ground. And the roots go down into the love of God. And the roots go down into the truth of God. And finally, uh, we say in, in, in enlisting in the service of God, uh, we grow to be mature. Enlisting in the service of we begin to find our purpose. We begin to find meaning in life. God is up to stuff in the world. And God invites all of us to be players. And he gifts us to be players. And so uh, when we find out what that niche is that God has designed us for, and we give ourselves to it, uh, we become more uh, God first. And so in Second in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, I want to suggest to you that we see what kind of people make up a great church. The first chapter is about, man, this is a great church. And the second chapter is like, all right, well, what kind of people make up that kind of a church? And so I want to suggest to you uh, that these people in this church were leaders in three different ways. Now, I know that most people don't think of themselves as leaders. But I want to try to convince you this morning that the essence of being a leader is simply influence. In almost any situation, whoever has the most influence is the leader. And everybody in the family of God is called by God to have influence on other people. 
In fact, God gifts us in various ways so that we can influence one another and be an encouragement to one another and have an impact on one another. It's the whole point of him giving us these gifts. And so everybody is to be an influencer or a leader in some facet in the life of the church. And uh, when you influence somebody, you're leading them, right? It really doesn't matter what your position is. It doesn't matter what your title is. The real issue is, how do I influence other people for God? What can I do uh, that would encourage people to embrace the God who I've come to know and love? How can I influence? So for this morning, anyway, I'd like to invite you to think of yourself as a leader, okay, and uh, an influencer of other people. And I'm going to try to extract from our passage the first 12 verses of the second chapter of 1 Thessalonians three, um, what uh, I think are components or markers of the leadership in this kind of church, in this church that made for that kind of church. Three characteristics, three qualities, uh, and they're all qualities that each of us has the capacity already built into us to do. And uh, I think you'll be surprised because the idea of leadership in the Bible is a lot different than the idea of leadership in the world in which we live. And I want to suggest that if we would simply up our game in these three areas, and everybody can, that we would be better leaders and better influencers. If we just upped our game to the next level in each one of these uh, three areas, or even just one of these three areas, okay? So the first thing I notice is that you might say that the people who made up this church were what you would call steward leaders. Steward leaders. They were stewards, all right? Uh, a, A steward is like a personal assistant. I had a friend one time, and he got this really high-level job, and one of the perks that came with it was a salary for a personal assistant. And I'd never heard of such a thing. So I asked him, so what's a personal assistant do? Anything I want. Yeah, like, this goes back a ways. He had $50,000 to hire somebody, and he would send them to pick up his cleaning. He would send them to change the oil in his car. He'd send them to pick up his kids. He would pay him to uh, sit down and listen. I have a speech that I have to make to the board of directors tomorrow. I'm going to give it to you, and I want you to be as critical as you can and tell me everything you think about it. Whatever it is, I'll do it. And uh, he hired this personal assistant. He went through a couple of them until he found somebody he totally trusted and, and so forth. But here's the deal. You know, a steward doesn't own anything. A steward is somebody who manages somebody else's stuff usually something that's important and valuable to somebody else, and a steward. And these people, it seems to me, were steward leaders. They understood that they were a manager or a steward of God's stuff and uh, that God had entrusted some precious and valuable stuff to them. And so when you become a Christian, I want to suggest to you that you begin to realize uh, that your whole life, which you think is yours and that you own, When you become a Christian, you discover, oh, wait a minute, this life that I'm living, I got it as a gift from God. It's actually his life breathed into me for his purposes. He created me for a reason. And he is expecting me to take my life, right, and to manage it in such a way, to leverage it in such a way, And to take what he gives me and use it in such a way that it accomplishes his purposes. I'm like a personal assistant to the God of the universe. 
I'm a steward, leader, uh, a personal assistant. And you realize your life is really not your own. And, and I think that's, you know, uh, why Jesus said some of the things he said. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, wrote about this in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6 and, and verse 19 and 20, he says, Paul's writing. He says, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you understand why you have your body? I put, God has put his spirit inside of it, right? And um, you have this from God. And uh, listen, you are not your own. Even your body, it doesn't belong to you. God gave it to you. And God has a reason for giving it to you. And God has a use for it. So don't be messing it up. You know? And your body's not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. You can't just say whatever you want to say. You belong to God, and he gave you your mouth to say certain things and not to say other things. You can't just do whatever you want to do because it feels good. No. In chapter 7, same thing, verse 23, you were bought with a price. Don't become a slave of people. You don't belong to other people. You belong to God. You're a steward of what God has given you. He's given you your life. You're 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever. But it's his, and you're a steward, and you get to manage it uh, for him. Uh, God first people understand, look, I don't own my own body, right? I've been, it's been entrusted to me to manage for God. Um, so I want to, like, do you think of yourself as a steward? Do you think of yourself as like a personal assistant of God, understanding that God's the owner of everything? You know, or do we think of ourselves as the owner and say, hey, this is my life. I'm going to do what I want. No, when you become a Christian, you understand, no, God gave you this life. It's his life that he breathed into you. And he's entrusted it to you to use for him, to manage for him. Now, notice in particular, as we read a couple of these verses, we begin in chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, let me read the first six verses. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be what? Entrusted with the gospel. You know something? God has entrusted something that's way more valuable than even our own lives. The gospel. Because the gospel is the single most powerful message that propels people into eternity. And God has entrusted, Paul is like, look at that fourth verse. We have been uh, approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We have been given the single most powerful message message in the universe that has the power to propel people into eternity okay and look what he says there he says we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel so we speak we don't have the option of copping out we've been entrusted by God with this great message and so we speak Paul says doesn't really give us the option right We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You ever cop out on speaking up for God? I know you have, because I have. And I'm a paid professional for this, right? (laughs) 
So, and I'll tell you what, as soon as that happens, I feel it right in my heart. You ever have that experience? You, you know you, the Holy Spirit's putting an opportunity in front of you. You pass on it. You say something stupid or inane or you, you know, and you pass on the opportunity to speak up for God. And immediately, I feel it right in my heart. It's like the, the Holy Spirit is just like, pow! you know, don't you ever have that experience? And Paul says here, he says, you know, uh, we speak. Not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's a test, but it's not a test so that God knows. God already knows where we're at. It's a test so that we can know. Hey, DeVries, you're not as on top of your game as you think you are. You're not as good a steward as you think you are. And it goes right to your heart, right? And it's a test so that I can know where I'm at. Not so much God already knows. And uh, look at what Paul says, for we never came with flattery, as you know, nor a pretext for greed. God is a witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. And uh, again, uh, the gospel was never intended to dead end with us. I know we're selfish. I know we think all this happened, you know, and we've just been to the communion table, and it did happen for us. And if we were the only person on the face of the earth, God would have still done it because he loves us that much. But there's a lot of other people that God cares about as much as us. And the gospel was never intended to dead end with us. It was entrusted to us as stewards, and these people understood that. And uh, because they understood that, it, it made for a great church. If you go back to chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, Paul's talking here and he's saying, look, other people report concerning us the kind of reception we had with you, how you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. And Paul's like, you know, other people tell us about your conversion. How would they know? Well, because these people were like Paul. They went around and they told people what happened to them. Uh, They were stewards of this great message that was entrusted to them. God is at work every place in the world, and he he works through his word. And uh, he's entrusted his word to you and me. And uh, we're stewards. We're steward influencers, if you will. Uh, God is at work uh, moving people from old to new. He's moving people, changing people from cursed to blessed from condemned to free, from broken to restored, from hopeless to filled with joy and peace. And he does it through his stewards, the stewards of his word, those personal assistants. And uh, I think you need to know um, stewards are not quitters. Uh, Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, even though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness to keep going. Now, You know, if you've ever tried to be a good steward of the gospel and share it, you know that you can get pretty beat up in that process. And a lot of us, if we're honest, say, you know what, I don't like getting beat up, so I just shut up. So I don't share anymore because I get beat up. Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 16, you'll read about what happened to Paul here. He was thrown in jail. He was beaten. You know, um, he was cursed. He all kinds of things happened to him. Um, he, you know, exposed a fortune-telling business. And, you know, if you mess with people's economics, wow, you're just persona non grata. So that's what happened. And uh, he got thrown in jail, thrown out of town, and so forth. And, 
you know, I think if that happened to me, I'd be like, well, you know what? I think I deserve a vacation in Hawaii now for a couple of weeks to get my feet back under me or something, right? But not Paul. He's right on to the next. He's here in Thessalonica. And with boldness, he's sharing the gospel. Because why? He's a steward. That's what stewards do. And they're not quitters just because they get beat up uh, one place or by somebody. Uh, they don't quit. It's speaking the truth and speaking the truth in love. Uh, Part of being an influencer is learning how to become bold. And bold doesn't mean brash. Bold means determined. Bold means I am going to find a way. I'm going to ask God to help me find a way that will build a bridge into the next person's life so that I can share the good news of the gospel. I'm going to find a way. It might take a long time. I'm determined. I'm going to speak the truth, but I'm going to do it in love. And um, by the way, you'll notice that uh, he says, we had boldness in our God to declare the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Conflict. Now, most of us don't like conflict, right? Conflict is actually an athletic word. And, uh, you know, everybody likes a good athletic contest didn't you enjoy the Super Bowl this past year you know and uh you know it was really kind of I'm not a Patriots fan but it was quite the game when you think that they were at halftime way down down more than any other team had ever been you have to say they were not quitters and they won the game and you and I are on the winning side we know how the thing turns out Thessalonians loaded with prophecy about what's going to happen in the future we know We're on the winning side, but we can't quit. Uh, We have the message that people need, and we've been entrusted with it. And when we understand leadership to be stewardship of what God has entrusted to us, we're in a position to make a difference in the world in which God has placed us. Uh, Conflict comes from athletic contests, um, and part of what it means is conflict, to endure conflict in order that we might be a steward uh, influencer on the opponent's turf, right? Because um, why? Uh, Paul says it here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 towards the end, uh, verse 24, 34, can't see it. I don't know why this print keeps getting smaller in my Bible, but... (laughs) Listen to this. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The God who called you to be a steward, leader, an influencer on other people and entrusted you with the precious treasure of the gospel, he's the one behind this. He called you and he'll do it. Paul counted on the word of God and the spirit of God to change people's lives. Right? He was a steward, leader, and the people became like him. Um, And he didn't uh, quit. And so um, we have a message from God, right? And this is a huge message. And um, notice in uh, verse 3 of this uh, uh, second chapter, uh, this, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We don't need to play games. We have the straight truth. And it's right from God. This isn't man's idea. This isn't something we came up with. This isn't manipulative. It comes from God. It's not speculation. It's not a mistake. It's pure truth. It's not a trick. There's no deception. It's not man's idea. This is God. It's not like science 
where science comes up with a theory and it's good until the next guy proves that theory wrong and their theory right. And then the next guy proves that theory wrong. And then we don't have a theory here. We have a word from God called the gospel. Good news based on what Jesus has done. And it's been entrusted to us. So we speak. We're steward leaders. And when we're good stewards, we speak to please our boss, not people's interests. And uh, that's what he goes on to here. The second part of verse 4, he says, So we speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. Not to please men, but to please God. And uh, when you think about this, um, six times in this little book, Paul talks about the gospel. Six different times. And uh, um, that's uh, a characteristic of the leadership or the people who make for a God-first church. They understand that their lives uh, are wrapped around the idea of being a steward of what God has entrusted to them. His spirit, his gifts, and so forth. And so we don't seek glory from people. We love people. We care about people. But it's not like we're dependent on other people to glorify us. Right? Because why? Well, because, listen, the God of the universe wants me around for eternity. I got what I need. The God of the universe loves me enough to sacrifice his son for me and to wipe my slate clean at his expense. I got what I need. We don't need glory from other people. Uh, We have it from God. Uh, We love people and we care about people, but we don't need people to glorify us. And in the book of Galatians, you remember this? Uh, In Galatians, the apostle Paul goes ballistic because you know what the people were doing there, some of the leaders in that church? Would you want to go to the church in Galatia? I don't know how much you know about it, but, you know, some of the people there were compromising the gospel to accommodate the misunderstanding of other people. In other words, they wouldn't shoot straight. They wouldn't be good stewards of what was entrusted to them. They were trying to massage the gospel, tone it down a little bit to accommodate the misunderstanding of other people. So look at Paul in in chapter 1 and uh, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be cursed. Paul's like, and you read the rest of this, I mean, it really gets spicy. Paul's like, what are you people doing? How do you ever expect to have a God-first church if you're going to compromise on what the gospel's all about? Okay, so first thing, I think the leadership, what kind of people make for a good, great church? Uh, they're stewards. They understand their life is a stewardship, all right? They're like personal assistants of God. Second, uh, the second characteristic about these people is that they were sacrificial leaders, um, They influenced other people with their sacrifices. It's just the opposite of what the world thinks when we have privileged leadership. Um, Again, if you uh, read this, Paul says, the last part of verse 6, Paul says, you know, uh, still in Galatians. 
Last part of verse 6, he says, you know, we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Can I tell you, the lowest level of leadership, the lowest level is position. When you say, well, because I'm the boss, that's why, or because I'm on the organizational chart here, the lowest influence, the lowest power of leadership is dependent upon position. Everybody thinks, you know, if they had the position, not true. And so Paul says, well, I could have made demands, you know, uh, as apostles. Gee, I am an apostle. I get a kick out of it sometimes. People say, oh, pastor. Do you know the word pastor means servant? It's really not too glorious. It's just that you're the foot washer of everybody. That's what it means, you know. But we've made it mean something different. We try to make it fit into the world's idea. So look what Paul says. This is really cool. He says, you know, we could have made demands as apostles, but instead, listen to this. This is Paul, right? The guy running around, grabbing people by the neck and throwing them in jail and trying to kill the church and everything. But we were gentle among you. Yeah, right, Paul. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not just the gospel of God, but our own selves because you had become so very dear to us. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Who is more sacrificial than a good mother? Who is a more sacrificial person and makes more sacrifices than a mother? There just isn't anybody, right? A good mother understands that it takes sacrifice to grow up kids. And uh, loving people takes sacrifice. If you're willing to sacrifice a little more, if you're willing to get to the next level in your ability to sacrifice, you can be a better leader. You can get to the next level and you can have more influence through sacrifice. Um, you know, God always goes first, okay? And if you think about this, God shows us, even if you're God... You have to sacrifice to love people. All the other gods that people worship, you know, make the people sacrifice to get to them. Our God understands that in order for me, God, to love people, I have to sacrifice. And I have to sacrifice that which is most dear to me. And he puts his son on the cross in order to be able to say to us, I love you. And I'll take care of what's wrong between us. I'll absorb it. I'll take responsibility for it. I will love you. Even if you're God, you understand that to love people takes sacrifice. And Paul uses this phrase, you know, um, actually he uses it, I think, seven times. Uh, he starts like chapter two with it. You yourselves know, brothers. You know me. You know my heart. You you, I, you know me. You know what I did. You know how I taught. You know, you know me, Paul says, seven different times. He's like, you know me. And uh, when you think about that, um, Paul, uh, you know, who I, I think is probably uh, using his authority before he becomes a Christian, and now he becomes as gentle as a nursing mother, uh, you know, uh, and this apostle Paul says, look, you know me. You know, um, it takes time and energy, right, to raise young children. It takes time and energy to raise young Christians. And we're all called to influence and to grow up and to take um, uh, responsibility for uh, 
God-firstness. Uh, just think about, I thought about it uh, today, you know, what does it take to be a leader in a youth group and go in sub-freezing uh, weather on a retreat with a bunch of kids? Well, I think it takes sacrifice. I don't want to do it. Would you? I mean, I'm in my electric blanket last night. These people are sleeping in some bunk camp someplace that they're hoping has a, maybe a wood-burning fireplace to keep them warm and fighting over who's going to get up and throw a piece of wood in it in the middle of the night, right, to keep it going. Now, what does it take to be a Sunday school teacher and be an influence on young people and build God's word into young people? Well, it takes sacrifice. You've got to give up you know, some time to prepare. You've got to be consistent. You've got to... You know, say no to maybe some needs and wants of your own in order to be consistent and do that. What does it take uh, to uh, gain influence? What does it take to commit to a soul care group, a small group of Christians, so that I can be an encouragement to help other people become God first in some area of their life that uh, maybe uh, I've already been through? Uh, Sacrificial leadership. I think when sacrificial leadership, you know, oh, here's another thing about a nursing mother. It's kind of an interesting image uh, that Paul uses here to talk about sacrificial uh, leadership. You know, a nursing mom, right, eats hard to digest stuff like steaks and apples and stringy asparagus or whatever and serves it up as milk, right? Takes the tough stuff, the deep stuff, the hard stuff, digests it. And turns around and gives it to others in a form that they can take it. In a form that they can grab and, and be nourished by it and so forth. And in fact, uh, you know, I think uh, in Second Corinthians chapter 1, I think Paul is telling us that you know, God allows certain things to happen to us in life just so that we can be a comfort to the next person. Do you believe that? Let me, first couple of verses here in Second Corinthians. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. I heard the testimony this past week of a person who grew up in a very uh, dysfunctional, been in 17 schools and... 12 years, bounced around, all kinds of stuff happened. And and this person now is totally equipped to embrace people who are going through that themselves. And here's God who allowed, you say, why would God allow that little kid to have those horrible experiences? Well, God had a purpose in it. And his purpose in this particular instant, I think, was so that this person be prepared to be able to help people who are going through that today. And is that okay with us? Are we willing to make the sacrifices that God calls us to? When sacrificial leadership permeates a church um, and people uh, share the gospel, uh, they do, yes, but in addition to sharing the gospel, they share themselves. And so if my story and my failures and my heartaches and my brokenness can help the next person along, I'm willing to share it. That's what soul care groups are all about, right? being a part of a small group, getting to know each other. So what kind of people make a great church? Well, people who, first of all, accept the stewardship of life, people who are sacrificial, giving up their needs and their rights for the sake of having influence on other people, and finally, may I suggest servant leaders, people who are willing to be servants. Uh, servants are there to meet other people's needs, right? They're there to make sure that the highest needs in the next person's life are met. Um, do other people become healthier 
Because I'm serving them. Do they become wiser? Because I'm serving them. Do they become more equipped? Do they become more God first? You know, because I'm serving them. So listen to the Apostle Paul talk about this. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also of how holy, righteous, blameless was our conduct toward you. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted you, we encouraged you, we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Apostle Paul is like, you know, I understood. I'm a servant to you people. And part of servanthood was uh, my character is at least equally and probably more important uh, than what I do. Who I am is probably more important than what I do. And, um, and Paul understood that. And so Paul was this servant who um, he, he says um, in verse 9, he says, You remember, brothers, our labor, our toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You know, Paul, I think, realized there's two kinds of people in the world. There's givers and takers. And Paul said, I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to, take, I'm going to get from God. I'm going to take everything God gives me. I take all the resources of God. And then I'm going to be a giver to people. And uh, Paul lived his life that way. He was a servant. He understood that God was meeting his needs and blessing him. And he had it to give away. A server is willing to be an example. Not perfect, but progressing. Servant leaders understand who they are, you know, is uh, just as important as what they do. And again... Um, Servant leaders have influence. And uh, I think have to be honest. I think what he says in verse 11 and 12, you know how like a father with his children, you know, if you have kids, you know, kids are trying to pick you apart all the time. If you don't live what you say, it's terrible being a preacher and having kids at the same time. You preach a sermon, you go home, and the kids are like, hey, Dad, did you mean when you said this, well, then why did you do that? Right? And Paul is like, look, you know, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, we encouraged, and we charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Right? Paul's like, we were like a family, this church. When you were out of line, we got in your face. There's some people in our church right now who are out of line i got to get in their face, right? I mean, we're family. That's what families do. We exhorted you. You can't do this. You're making a bad choice here. You know, we see it. We all see it. We care about you. We're not going to just, you know, sit by and pretend like nothing's happening. This is just wrong. We can't serve one another unless we're going to be honest with each other. And servant leadership really is about lifting people to their highest potential. Uh, servant leadership also accepts responsibility and doesn't place blame. You know, if something's wrong, we just own it, right? And it's so easy, it's so common today to place blame on everybody but yourself. But a servant leader accepts reality, accepts responsibility, accepts other people, doesn't judge people, uh, able to empathize and so forth. And servant leadership, uh, I don't know, here's what I know about servant leadership If you're willing to up your game as a servant, just a notch, just a percent, 
there are unlimited opportunities to be better servants. There are people all around us that are broken and hurting and hungry and hopeless. There are a gazillion opportunities to be a leader when we just up our game a little bit to be more of a servant, right? Stewardship, sacrifice, and servanthood. Well, I want to introduce you to a couple of people, uh, Josh and Alita Kenny, this morning. Uh, They're people who are relatively new to our church, and they were scheduled to speak at um, our annual meeting, but that got snowed out. And so we asked them if they would come and uh, just share with us a little bit about uh, their experience with our church. And um, I'm just going to kind of ask them, you know, uh, since coming here, kind of what you experienced and, and how things are. So thanks for being willing to do this. Here you go. Have a seat. So just tell us a little bit your impressions about this church. Is this a great church? I mean, you have, there are a lot of churches here in Fairfield County that you could go to. Right? Putting us on the uh, spot Yeah, there. right on the spot. <laughs> um, it's an excellent church. We, uh, right. Yeah. Let's pray. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, 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 yeah, since we first came in the door, um, I'm you know, probably here now three years, and I moved up here when um, God just provided and got me a, a job in, in Norwalk, um, and Alita at that time, we were, we were dating, and, uh, you know, eventually, you know, I proposed, so everything was just laid out, and, uh, you know, as part of moving up here, and when we were kind of starting our family, we were obviously looking for a community of, of believers, yeah. and um, we had gone to few churches, few services, you know, just to get the scene. And uh, as soon as we walked in here, it just felt like home. Hmm. We had, you know, a lot of our friends, um, Ben and Brittany Wang were great, uh, James and Leisha Elliott, and uh, people that Alita had known for a while. And then the other selling point for me was was the gospel and hmm. the truth of God. Hmm. That was just totally apparent that first day. And um, it sold me. And that was it. Yeah, we actually... Um, we came to one service, and Josh stood up at the end and said, we're coming back next week. Is that right? <laughs> I knew I liked this guy for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So now, are you a part of a small group where uh, some of these characteristics about, you know, are developed, right? A, a steward, a sacrifice, and, and uh, being willing to be servants. I mean, do you, does that play out? Like, when you, I mean, when you can come to church, just come and leave and never really experience some of these kinds of growing, you know, God-first kinds of experiences. So tell me a little bit. You're in a small group, right? Yep. Yeah. We're, tell um, us about it. we're in a small group. We meet every other Tuesday night. Um, and it's been ugh, so much more than, than we could have really expected. Yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up going to small groups and, and was really, um, that was very formative for me. And, yeah. and um, so it was something we definitely wanted to get involved in. Um, and it was hard to find the time during the week and um you know we meet our small group meets in Trumbull and so coming up with the traffic on Tuesday nights is you know but it's so worth it um and God's been providing the time um and the energy um and the just the the fellowship is like whatever whatever we happen to need personally god just meets us there Um, and we're seeing it in our lives as well as the lives of the people that we're meeting with um it's just been uh it's encouraging it's it's stimulating and challenging and 
um, I think he's really stretching us. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think for me, I mean, um, what you had said, I, I write notes. So, right. uh, <laughs> me too. So I could stay on topic here. Um, you had said, um, you know, um, you know, you don't only share the gospel, but your own selves. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I think for me, the small group, the biggest thing is it allows, and this may be more particular for, for men, but allows you to get vulnerable with other people yeah. and, um, and really open yourself up and share, share your brokenness. And um, Ben and Brittany have been awesome. You know, they just remind, they've reminded me and through our, um, you know, our focus on God's word of our identity, our, you know, unfailing identity in Christ mm-hmm. and what he's done for us. Do you find yourselves, like, willing to help the other people in the group when they're up against something? I mean... Oh, my gosh. Like, right? That's yeah, what it's about, absolutely. Right? It's just... Serving. Um, and it's not only that, like, it's become our, uh, like, our social life. Yeah, yeah. Um, as well as uh, just, you know, these are people that you, that you know and know you, and they know how to... God just seems to work through each one of us to kind of speak into each other's lives yeah. or be there and have the availability in your week to meet with somebody else and... Um, it's, it becomes, I don't want to say effortless, but it feels kind of yeah. effortless. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where I think so many things that are uh, God-oriented are, like there's always resistance at the front end, but when you don't give in to that resistance, you're always blessed. Yeah. Right? Like you, you're tired or, wow, we just don't have time or we got all these other things we should be doing tonight, but no, we're going to go. And then you're like on the way home and like, I'm so glad we did that. You know, we were a blessing and we were blessed and... So many things are like that, I think, in the Christian life. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks. Um, we're going to have coffee down in the gathering hall, and you can continue these conversations. Introduce yourself. Get to know these folks. And uh, before we do that, though, let's ask the ushers to come and wait on us as we continue to worship uh, through the giving of our tithes and our offerings this morning. So, ushers, and are we going to sing? Oh, no. I think I messed up. <laughs> I think this was supposed to happen at the same time. You got anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> Well, now that you mentioned it, Go ahead. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just want to emphasize, you know, for me, you know, at first it, it can be a sacrifice, you know, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. but that's part of it. And you're absolutely right. You know, there was one time, I think when we were starting out, you know, again, the, the drive up, you know, the job, whatever you do, it's stressful, right? It's the end of the day on a weekday. <laughs> Yeah. Six o'clock, you know, you're, you're ready to just go home and sit down, eat, yeah. and go to bed. Yeah. But, um, you know, so we were driving up one night, and I remember I was just like, this, this is tough. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. you know, sitting in traffic, and yeah. we know that we're not going to get home probably till 10 o'clock, and it might, you know, it might cut down on our sleep a little bit. But every single time I come out of that house, and I feel lifted yeah. and refreshed and ready to tackle the week, yeah. you know, in the yeah. right mindset. So. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I had two conversations this week with uh, two people who both told me they were extremely lonely, you know, like they were just totally lonely. And uh, I try to encourage them to, like, get in a group like this. I mean, it does take care of that issue, doesn't it? Like, you, you have friendships now that, you know, it's not because people are on some kind of committee that they'll love you, right? It's because they've gotten to know you and they love you. And they're happy, like Paul says, to share their lives Anything I can do for you, I want to be an encourage, and, and that's really what we love to see happen in those small groups, you know, right? Absolutely. And nobody can do that for 100 people. But if you get 10 or 12 people together and you do that for each other, it changes, it transforms us.
Let's uh, stand together and we'll be dismissed.